0: Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, Yet, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, Woke from sleep, he did, as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would take this oh-so-familiar story and plant some of its truths in a fresh way deep in our hearts. I pray, as Jason prayed, that Christmas would come to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All good stories, my wife is a writer, we talk about this all the time, we analyze, when we watch TV, when we read stories, we're always analyzing the story. All good stories follow a certain trajectory, and if you have a good story, you must have a conflict. This is a really good story. And in it, we've got a predicament right away. We've got conflict. We've got tension. There's this tension that Joseph is going to experience. If we climb into the story, Joseph's in a real predicament, a really sticky situation. But I want you to see there's another predicament here that you might not notice at first glance, and it's how Matthew has connected. Matthew, the writer of this gospel, has connected this aspect of the story to what he's already written. What he's already written is, uh, appears at first glance in the opening of the gospel of Matthew is a very boring genealogy, a family tree. That's what we got right before this. And he's connecting this story to the family tree. But someone else has a predicament here. God has a predicament. It's not just Joseph. Verses 1 through 17, we get this genealogy of Jesus, very carefully crafted, not exhaustive though, family tree for Jesus. And what he's doing here is he's wanting to show Jesus as a son of David, because we know that the scriptures prophesy That the coming Emmanuel, the coming Savior, will be in the line of David. He will be a son of David. Connected to David by birth. Look at verse 16, though. Matthew does something interesting. He says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. He breaks from this familiar pattern of the the genealogy. The father of, the father of, the father of. You can look at this for yourself. The the genealogy follows in this way. He He calls out a name and then he says the father of the father of, the father of. till he gets to verse 16, and he says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Jesus is disconnected from the line of David. That's a predicament. The blood of David The blood of David is running through Joseph's veins, not through Jesus' veins. So, how can Jesus officially become a son of David? A divorce here would be problematic. A nativity scene without Joseph would mess up a lot of our decorations. mess up God's plan? How's God going to deal with this problem? That's what this section was written to answer. Apart from Joseph, Jesus is not connected to the line of David. And so Matthew makes the focus of this section of scripture, Joseph. Joseph's got a predicament. He's been betrothed. And this is just a, in our day and age it means an engagement but but we think of engagement a little bit differently than they did in the ancient near east joseph's mary's been betrothed to jesus joseph is a young man maybe in his early 20s his parents have made an arrangement with mary's parents she's probably around 14 They've been pledged to be married, and it's a legally binding pledge. It could only be broken. This kind of engagement, this kind of betrothal, could only be broken by two things, divorce or death. Infidelity at this stage of the game was considered adultery. So you see the predicament that Joseph finds himself in. The woman that has been promised to him, the woman that he's been betrothed to, is pregnant and she's got some crazy story to explain how it's happened. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. See, we don't do that very often. We don't sit and think what was going through his mind. This is a real predicament. And I think if we put ourselves in the story, well, we can start to imagine what that must have been like. Joseph had feelings just like you and I do. And I think it would be wrong. We think of betrothals and an arranged marriage. It It would be wrong to perceive that he didn't like Mary. He had feelings of falling in love just like we do. Joseph's dreams are being dashed. His vision for happiness had to do with this girl named Mary. They listened to the radio. They had a favorite song. They knew what it was like to fall in love. But when Mary was found to be pregnant, Joseph became a man of dashed dreams. What will he do? Well, we're told that Joseph has character. We're told in verse 19, her husband Joseph was a just man. So he makes a decision. He knows he's righteous, so he can't in good conscience marry adulterous Mary. Because that would be an admission of his own guilt. But he's not guilty. And yet he loves Mary. And so the scripture tells us that he's unwilling. He's unwilling to expose her to the ridicule and the shame that would be hers in this situation. Most of, these, most of these cases took place in a public trial. The letter of the law, if you follow the letter of the law, would have led to Mary being stoned, but minimally a public trial. And Joseph won't have Mary put to shame, so he's going to do, he's resolved, the Scripture tells us, to do this quietly, leaving justice, impact, and his ability to show compassion. Then another character, another character enters the story. He's considering these things. He's figuring this out. He's trying to figure out how he's going to resolve this situation. And he's come to a conclusion. And then it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now this whole series has been advent through the eyes of angels. We've been looking at the angels. So here we have an unnamed angel. Who appears to Joseph in a dream. An extraordinary counselor. He intervenes. What does he say? Says, Joseph, son of David. Matthew highlighting once again that Joseph is in the line of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. Because he's going to save his people from their sins. And then Matthew tells us that all this took place to fulfill prophecy. And then we're told that when Joseph wakes up from his sleep, that he did exactly what this extraordinary counselor, this unnamed angel, told him to do. What do angels long to do? Angels long to obey. They they long to fulfill the purpose that God gives to them. We talked about this already, that what angels long for is they long to be part of God's plan to rescue humanity. This is what they long to do. And what they, they long for is to see God's saving plan of redemption take root, not just in the comfort superficial places of our mind, but actually take place in our hearts. This is what they long for. The angel would have been very, very, very surprised if in appearing to Joseph in a dream and giving him these instructions, if Joseph had not done them. Because the angel perceives this as part of God's saving plan for a broken world, for a broken humanity. So angels long to do what they can, that they would take the message of Christmas and see it in your hearts. That's what they long for. That's what they desire to do. Now, I want to draw attention to three things that the angel says to Joseph, three things. First, he calls him the son of David. It's a clear connection to the genealogy that he has just written in verses 1 through 17. He's saying, listen up, Joseph. You're a son of David, and you got a significant role to play here. And there's a lot at stake if you go forward with your reasonable resolution. If you move forward with what you have resolved to do, there's a lot at stake. You are a player in God's plan to save sinners through Jesus. So pay attention. Despite your previous decision, despite what you had resolved to do when you went to bed last night, I want you to do two things that are in contradiction, in contrast to the things that you have resolved to do. What does he want her to do? Two clear commands that the angel gives to Jesus. First, marry Mary right now. Take her home to be your wife. Second, when she has the baby, name him Jesus. That's all he's got to do. He's got to take Mary to be his wife. She's going to have the baby when she has the baby. Name him Jesus. We don't know if Joseph got a chance to ask any clarifying questions. That's it. All we know. Do away with your resolution. Marry Mary. Name him Jesus. That's it. Now what I want to do with the rest of our time is take a look at Joseph's response. And what there is we can learn from Joseph's response here on this Christmas Eve because Joseph is a model disciple for those that have experienced the birth of Christ in their lives. What are the characteristics of a model disciple? We see them right here in Joseph. I'm going to give you four because I don't know if I'm going to get through all four of them, but I'm going to give them to you up front. You'll have something to chew on. We'll see how we do. Four characteristics of a model disciple, and we see these in Joseph. Faith, integrity, compassion, and trust. Faith, integrity, compassion, and trust. So you might think of this uh, as what would a WWJD message. What would Joseph do? And I love those bracelets. I do. I love when I see athletes wearing WWJD. I just saw a, a kid on an athletic team wearing a, a WWJD bracelet, and I do. I really do. I, I respect that, and I and I like that. But if I really, I dismantled it a few times. It's actually not that great of a mantra. What would Jesus do? As a mantra for me, is a little overwhelming. Because Jesus does things that you ain't never going to do. I get the point. And it's good to think about what would Jesus do. What Jesus would do in this situation is oftentimes not what we would do. And what Jesus would do is, is die for his people's sins. And that's something you cannot emulate him in. So in some ways, what would Joseph do is actually a better Bracelet because Joseph, you can copy, Jesus, you can't. I get it though, wear the the bracelet. (laughs) But I think it's good to look for a disciple, someone whose life has been transformed by the grace of God in Jesus, and are now trying to follow him, even imperfectly. They're the kind of people that make for good examples. What, what are they characterized by? First, they're characterized by their faith. Naming him Jesus is significant because Jesus actually means, the word means Savior. It's the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. This was the name that he was, to, that the angel told Joseph to name him. Joshua was a type of Savior. Name him Jesus. Why? You call his name Jesus for, verse 21, because he's a savior. Because he's going to save people from their sins. That's why I want you to name him Jesus. Christianity, church, is a reasonable faith. Will this distract you if my bottle of water ends up in the nativity? A flood? There's a flood, maybe. We could work that into the story. Christianity demands that we think through tough questions. And there's tough questions. If you slow down and ponder the nativity, there's tough questions for us to ponder. So you got to think through those things. But Christianity will never remove from you the demand of faith. Christianity will always demand that you put your trust in God, who is greater than you can imagine. It will always demand that of you. It will always require faith. You'll never be able to puzzle this thing out where it eliminates the need for you to put your trust in God. We said that hope is this confident expectation that God is going to come through for you. Faith is is this belief that that God can actually accomplish the work of salvation in you. But you got to trust him for that. The angels came. Isaac preached this a couple of weeks ago. They came, and what did they say? Good news, great joy for everyone. Good news, great joy, there's hope for everyone. But who gets in on that hope? If it's for everyone who gets it. It's only those who see that they're desperately in need of the hope that Christmas brings. Is that you? Can you can you say do you know in your heart that you can that you have experienced that hope that Christmas seeks to bring? To you, not something that's just kind of in the superficial places of your mind and a warm little nativity scene, but really has taken root in your heart that you have come to find Jesus as your Savior. He came to be a Savior. He came to save people, his people from their sins. Christianity, the first step of Christianity is seeing Jesus for who he is and what he's done, recognizing your need for him, and then declaring I need you. You can save me. Please forgive me. Take my place. Take the punishment that I deserve. And then bring your spirit to live within me and empower me to live and follow and be satisfied in Jesus. That's faith. Good news, great joy, hope for everyone. What it requires is that we respond in faith. Have you responded with faith? If if you haven't responded in faith to the message of Christmas and the message of Christ as Savior, then you are not yet a disciple of Jesus. You, You can't follow Joseph's example. It begins with faith. You must put your faith in Christ. And, and maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, that, that's for these people. That's for these good people that go to church on Sundays. But it ain't for me. No, no, no. That's not true. Jesus' family tree, Genesis or Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, has got some seriously flawed characters in it. Men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, Gentiles. What's the point? Jesus is the Savior of all of them. He's not ashamed to be identified with those who are sinners. He wasn't ashamed of his own family tree. Jesus will have us. The question is, will we have Jesus? That's faith. Let's move on to the second one. Second character quality of a model disciple, of of someone who's experienced the birth of Christ in their hearts. Integrity. And we see that in Joseph's character. He's a just man. He lived according to God's word. He lived within the boundaries that God had placed for him, and he found pleasure there. He didn't constantly live with his face pressed against the boundaries that God had placed in his life, as a protective fence. He did what was right. He wasn't sloppy when it came to his integrity before God. That's challenging, isn't it? Any areas of sloppiness in your life as it relates to integrity, to who you are before God? Areas of life where nobody else, where everybody else thinks this about you. But God sees through all of that, right? Any areas of your life where you're not being honest? You're hiding from others? You're covering up? And you're thinking that you're hiding from God too? God wants truth in the deepest places. He wants to satisfy you in such a way that you can actually be honest with him and receive the forgiveness that he offers and where you can can die to old idolatrous desires and you can begin to live in Christ, being satisfied in him and believing and living out of the promise that at his right hand our pleasures forevermore that's what integrity of heart is integrity of heart isn't perfection integrity of heart is recognizing man i've been looking to this and it doesn't satisfy god once again i return to you cleanse me forgive me work in me that i would enjoy you and taste and see that you are good That's integrity. Third character quality, compassion. Joseph is the model of a person with a compassionate heart. I wonder if that marks us. Does compassion, is compassion one of the character attributes of your life? I got an email this week from one of you. We've uh, been encouraging people to share their stories of how they've invited people out uh, to Christmas Eve services, or, or just began to interact with people about the story of Jesus. And so I got one this last week. It was a long one. I won't read it all to you. But it came from someone that I consider to be a real, solid follower of Jesus. And I was thinking about these character qualities of Joseph and how they're a model for a true disciple. And I was thinking about this person. And I was like, wow, these character qualities are alive in this person. This one being compassion. It's one of them. And that person is Jen Fitz, whom many of you know. That's a good bracelet. What would Jen Fitz do? I'm serious. I'm serious. widowed, at a young age, kids, take care of. And I marvel sometimes at how she embraces what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I look at myself And how easy, how fairly easy my life is. And how I don't seem to be manifesting the qualities of a disciple like I see her doing. Compassion. She tells the story. She has amazing things happen in her life, I'm telling you. Hang out with her, go hear some of her stories. She has these crazy things happen in her life. Do you know why she has crazy things happen in her life? Because she just gets up every morning and says, Jesus, just do with me what you want. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you, I want to follow you. And then guess what? Jesus takes her prayer and puts her in these really interesting situations. A lot of us just blow right by them. But this just happened last week. She just, she just sent me this email they're driving down Route 30 right in front of Wegmans. Traffic is insane. Holiday traffic, holiday craziness. All these people, it's like bumper to bumper, all these cars jammed up on 30. She looks over at the right near the, uh, the bus stop there and laying on the sidewalk is this elderly woman with her hands up in the air. She's laying on the sidewalk, guys, and all these cars are creeping along because, because it's, they're jammed in holiday traffic. And nobody stops to see what's wrong with the woman who's lying on her back with her hands pointing straight up into the air. Not Jen Fitz. She going to stop. I'm sure she's got a few things to do. She stops. Finds a place to pull her car off the road, walks up to the woman, blood. I went out of her head. Where is everybody? Where were you? Woman doesn't want her to call 911. She's shaking, she's upset, and she's just trying to get to her feet so she can walk to where her goal, where she lives, in Ashbridge Manor. But Jen begs her to get into her van so she can drive her back home. Drives her home, takes her to the medics there at Ashbridge Manor. (laughs) Tells the staff how God... Opened her eyes to see her sitting there, lying there helplessly on the sidewalk. Calls her her new friend. Gave me the honor of being the one to assist her. They clean her up. They get her medical attention. And I invite her to join me and the kids for Christmas. And I look forward to continuing to share Jesus with her as well. Guys, that's compassion. You, you want to be compassionate? You got to be willing to be Interrupted. Compassion is being kind and loving towards those who are in need. Does that mark your life? Christmas vacation is going to give you all kinds of opportunities. Maybe not like that one. But opportunities to be compassionate. But you know what compassion requires? Selflessness. And you know what I can't produce in myself? Selflessness. I am so, and you are so selfish. So focused on self. But if Christmas, if Jesus is really born in your heart, if this little nativity scene moves from the superficial confines of the comfortable places in your mind and moves to your heart, you'll be compassionate people. I pray that happens for all of us. I pray that we would seize every opportunity to, to be compassionate in this next week. But it'll require the the power of Christ at work in us. We're weak. But good news. The power of Christ rests upon us in our weakness. Last character quality. Trust. It's not that different than faith. But Joseph is a man that's going to do what God calls him to do and he's going to leave the results to God. He doesn't know how this is going to be played and how it's going to play out. You know how it's going to play out. At that moment in time, he didn't know how it was going to play out. That's what trust is. It's it's this, I'm putting this in your hands. Like, Lord, I'm putting this in your hands. And if this is what you're calling me to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust the future to you. That I'm going to trust the future to a God who's going to take care of the details. Man, guys, that is so much easier said than done. It's So much easier said to just talk about trust theoretically. It's so much harder to actually hold your hands open to God and to say, God, I, I trust you with this, and this is what you're calling me to do in this situation, and I'm going to trust you, and may God do what seems good to him. That's what trust is. Joseph would say, all I can do is control my response to God's commands. I can't control the outcome. So what does he do? The scripture says the angel told him what to do, and he did it. He just simply did it. Mary, Jesus, name, Mary, not Mary, Jesus. Man, that's the wrong nativity. Mary, Mary, name him Jesus. And he did it. And in some ways, it's, it's quite simple. He just did what God told him to do. Is that what you're doing? Does that characterize your life? Are you just simply doing what God has called you to do? Well, how do I know what God has called me to do? Well, just open up your Bible and read it. He'll lead you by his spirit. He'll take his truth and and apply it to your heart, and he'll lead you. Joseph actually knows that to do what the angel has called him to do, Is going to cost him. So, in other words, Joseph knows that shame and disrepute are going to, uh, are awaiting him if he does what the angel tells him to do. See, a lot of us, we want to follow Jesus because we think that following Jesus will be easy. But following Jesus isn't going to be easy. Joseph knows, if Joseph does what the angel's telling him to do, it's going to come at a cost. It's going to cost him his reputation. It's going to cost him some shame. But that's not what matters most. What matters most is pleasing God with his life. I'm going to do what God says, and he'll work it out in the end. What does that look like in your life? I'll tell you what it looks like in my life now after years of following Jesus. This is what Isaac and I in Fight Club regularly do. We just ask ourselves a really simple question. Are you pressing into Christ? That's what it means to trust God. It's like, all right, this stuff is going on. Well, what is that? How are you pressing into Christ in light of those things? That sounds so easy, (laughs) And yet it's so difficult to press into Christ. But pressing into Christ is an expression of trust. It said, Lord, this situation seems hard. I pray that you would help me. And I want to press into you and find joy in you, believing that you're going to take care of me and the results. So we're climbing into the story this morning. We're imagining it. We're, I'm hoping that it's moving from the comfortable places of our mind to the deep places of our heart. So much so that Christ is born in your heart and what's produced is a disciple. A disciple who's marked by faith, integrity, compassion, and trust. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us on this Christmas Eve. In Jesus' name, amen.